Welcome to the Flying Baton, the magical land of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nesmith. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I've taken about six months off to finish my grad degree, and I've officially graduated with a master's degree of administration from James Madison University. And I'm very excited to have that done and get back to a lot of things, including the podcast. Um, You know, it's really interesting getting a master's in administration. I feel like it is highly applicable to the band field. I have no plans on leaving the classroom anytime soon, just in case you're wondering. Um, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. Um, But I think every teacher in America needs to take the school law class because it was one of the most interesting and enlightening classes that I took in the program. Anyway, so I had three student teachers this semester. And since they are going to interviews and trying to get their first job, I figured it'd be really awesome to launch into an episode about the interview process. And we have a couple of really great guests on the show. We have Alan Scholl, who is the principal at Fort Defines High School, but he used to be the band director there. So he has a really interesting perspective. In fact, he was on one of our previous episodes about transitioning from teaching to being an administrator. And we have Mr. Barry Flo, who was a middle school director and then a curriculum specialist slash fine arts supervisor. And then he's gone back to the classroom to be the director of bands at Bridgewater College. So they have some really interesting perspectives to share on what they're looking for in a candidate. And I hope you guys really enjoy the interview. Let's get started. All right, everybody, we are here with Mr. Alan Scholl and Mr. Barry Flo. Could you guys just give us a brief synopsis of your work history as a band director and as an administrator? Hi, this is Barry Flo, and I was a middle school band director, high school band director, Music curriculum specialist was my title in Hanover County. I spent nine years doing that before retiring, and now I am the athletic band director at Bridgewater College. My name is Alan Shaw. I currently serve as principal at Fort Defiance High School, where I started in the fall of 81 as band director on the podium for 27 and a half years, and then moved down the hall to help more students as an administrator, first as assistant principal and now as principal. And how many years have you been head principal for? Three. And I, I just wanted to throw out there that, Alan, you're still a very active performer. You're performing... Mastodon Brass Band, ah, headed yeah. to national championship this weekend. Oh, well, good luck. Yeah, thanks. That's really exciting. All right, guys. So today we're talking mostly about the interview process. It is interview season. A lot of young students and directors are headed off to interviews and, and send in a lot of questions for us to talk about today. So we'll just kick right off with number one. If you have a job opening... And there are a lot of applicants, as there often is for the arts. What are some ways that you would prefer to pare down who you're actually going to interview for the position? Well, I would say what we start with was working with HR and letting them first call the list a little bit down to those that are that have their certification. So I want them to kind of eliminate people who might have applied, but they haven't passed their practices or don't have the certification. Not that not passing the praxis would eliminate you from having the position because there's probationary contracts that can be offered. But in music, we really want to see if we can find the candidates that have their certification, they're ready to go. Once I get that list and it's a little bit smaller because we've taken some people out, then I just start looking at several factors. And none of these factors eliminate anybody from consideration, but I look for things like how much do they have experience in the position they're applying for, if they're recent graduates, you know, what, where did they go to school? Who are they listed as their references? Things like that, looking for just, you know, who looks like they're going to be a good fit. I think that's a word that I'm going to use a lot today is it's all about finding the fit and the right candidate that's going to be good in that position. And it'd be pretty much the same at the school level. 
We obviously are going to look at well-written resumes, experience, whether it's at a volunteer level, working with your homeschool, again, where you're from, what your background is. Certainly going to talk to folks on the university or college level to see what we can glean. And we're going to search social media pretty hard before we pull the <laughs> pull an application too far into the process. What does that look like as far as examining the social media? What kind of things are you looking for? Just going to go to the platforms and pull up names and see what what you've indicated and who you are. Well, since you bring up the, the resume, some, some of my friends asked specifically about that. They spend a lot of time working on their resume and making it look as good as possible. And then when they apply for the job, they end up just keying everything into the online form anyway. When you are looking at applicants, are you looking at their actual like PDF resume that they upload? Or are you mainly looking at the text fields from the the application software. If there's a PDF resume, we're going to pull it. Mm -hmm. And it will actually, for us, carry more weight than the keyed-in application on the school website. Oh, that's good to hear. And I think it depends on what software platform the, the school division is using, because when I was in Hanover, it really was very clear. I could go into what they've keyed in and see everything that I needed to see. But what I really liked to do was once we had the interview set up is to have that hard copy of the resume that I always encourage everyone to take into the interview room. Mm -hmm. Could you guys explain the role that HR plays specifically in the process? Kind of kind of like the whole process. And I know it's different from division to division. So I've seen some school divisions where HR is the leading force in the hiring and the administrators are kind of giving sort of like the final yay or nay. And some school divisions where HR is like very hands off and the principal is, is really the one calling through the list and the data. Like, how do you guys do things here, Alan? Well, in Augusta County, HR is just a clearinghouse for us. We are given enough autonomy on the local school level to, to do the culling and take a look at everything from the uploaded app to resume. Once we put together a candidate pool, we may even start beginning to ask for portfolios with philosophies and everything else put behind it before we bring somebody in. And in my experience, HR does a lot of recruiting. They're trying to build a bucket of names that we have for a sudden need or if we have a few months to plan for a retirement. And it's that list that I would look at. Our division had obviously a curriculum specialist. Not every school division does, but I wanted to be able to be that person between the big list that HR was 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 gathering and the principal. So I would go to the principal and said, I did some of this work for you. These are the top candidates as I see them and still leave it open to the principal if they decide they want to go to the list and, and check to see if there's someone that they might want to see that I did not immediately pull out mm -hmm. and things like that. So that was HR for me was really the, the, did a lot of recruitment. We used to run an open job for each of our positions, even though we didn't technically have an open position, but we we year long would say we have a band job. And it was clear on the website that it wasn't immediately open, but that's how we would gather resumes all year long. So as you said at the beginning, if we had an opening in spring, we could have 80 to 100 applicants in there. So, mm -hmm. you know, so that that's how HR and I work together to kind of figure out once we have those 80 names, how are we going to get down to the six we want to send to the principal? So um, bearing your experience being the, the fine arts supervisor, if you were working with a building level admin who didn't have any music experience, um, how heavily did your opinions on a candidate weigh in on the hiring process? It depended on the principal. And my thought on this was that I had 49% of the vote and the principal had 51% of the vote. 
So I, I wanted that principal to really be the main decision maker that this person fit the role. Because as soon as we make the decision to hire them, that principal is the one who supports the main support for that teacher. So my role really was to interpret information for the, uh, for the principal that they might not understand if there was something I wanted them to know. Sometimes I would do an early interview where I would call the candidates and I would ask questions, and I would do that for every candidate. So really, I felt like I was helping the administrator understand what some of these answers meant and how deep their knowledge on a topic went. Because as the music specialist, I, I knew when someone was topically answering a question or being able to go very deep in their response, and not mm. all administrators have the experience of Alan to really know that for themselves. Would you say it's similar here for the administrators who don't have music experience? To some degree, you know, locally in this building, we use a committee to interview for. And that's very reason is because not everybody's going to come to the table as an expert in every area. So the admin team that I have in place and the department chair for whatever position we're interviewing for are going to be a part of that team so that we have an expert in the room. Augusta works a little bit backwards in that once I make a recommendation, our music supervisor would then review that, and he and I would have a conversation about the interview process and what we saw and heard, and if there's something that he feels like he needs to follow up on to confirm, look for the the mouse in the room, so to speak, then we would go at it from that direction. But typically, using a team approach eliminates any issues that would crop up. All right. So here's some some specific questions about the actual interview when it comes in. I, I got this question a lot, actually. How much do you care about attire? I'll jump into this one. I'm going to say that I have 30 minutes to interview a candidate. And one of the main things I'm looking for is judgment and their ability to make good judgment calls. So someone coming in wearing a, a Friday night go to a frat party attire as opposed to more professional attire, that's a judgment call that I think they've had four years to kind of work out in college. So I, I, I'm looking for anything that gives me a glimpse at their ability to make good decisions. And from our perspective, you know, we will have done our background work and checked out the person as much as we can before they arrive for an interview. And we would expect the same in the opposite direction. Hmm. What are your school colors? What sort of a community are you interviewing for? How does your dress fit into that? Hmm. Looking for someone who's going to be comfortable working in the learning community that we're interviewing them for and the greater community that they're going to be living in. What kinds of things would you like applicants to show up with to the interview? Well, that could be varied for me, but I always think it's a great idea to bring that that resume so that we don't know who's going to be in the room sometimes. We always were in committee as well, but there might be someone who's coming in at the last minute to sub. So I just think it's very good to have that in hand, that hard copy of the resume. But it's harder to bring digital media into an interview. We're not going to have time to review that. But if you have something that, you know, really speaks to something that makes you a unique candidate that you can put in sort of a portfolio format, that's fine. Again, it's difficult with us having only 30 minutes usually to interview you. It's difficult for us on the spot to really go through those materials, not to say that we wouldn't look at them later. But for me, it's really just the resume. And as Alan said, we've done our research before we brought you in, so we already know a little bit about you. Pretty much the same. I enjoy having a portfolio available, professionally prepared, with the resume, with philosophy of teaching, examples of work that may have been done previous, be it a drill chart or programs, the senior recital, 
you know, what, what kind of background, what level of musician am I talking to? Those things that would be indicated would be in the portfolio at some point. What are, what are some red or green flags that you notice in the first five minutes? I guess we've already talked about attire, but are there any other things that kind of jump out at you immediately about it, good or bad? Timeliness, being at the interview early is certainly a green flag, just as being there late would be a red flag. Whether you're alone or you've brought mom or dad with you also kind of sets up a little bit of a, do, wait, a red do people, flag. Do, do people bring their parents to interviews? Uh, we've had that happen, yes. <laughs> mom may sit in the car while you're inside having an interview, and I'm like, you know, you're 22, you're applying for a job, maybe we better be able to stand on our own. Those are, are red flags that would jump up. Nervousness in behaviors as you interview, you know, trying to make some personal contact eye to eye, looking around the room with the committee, making sure that you're responding to who asked the question, but making contact with each member of, of the committee, mm-hmm. personable things. I do have a quick story. My first interview, my fiance was with me. We were traveling across the state of Virginia and it was cold. So she came in and was sitting in the waiting room. And the music supervisor was a committee interview said, is this your fiance you mentioned? I said, yes. And she, he said, well, why don't she come back with you? So my <laughs> fiance came into the committee interview and sat beside me at the table while I had my first interview for this job. I got the job and it was great because after the interview, she was able to re- tell me all my responses, those that were good and those that might not <laughs> have been good. So it's good to have that playback. Would um, you say that she helped you look good? Well, she always makes me look good. Uh, <laughs> so that's 100%. I would say something that I've talked to student teachers about, and I used to do some work at a VCU, go visit and talk to classes, is is to let them know that we understand you're going to be nervous. Everyone is nervous when they come into the interview, and we know that. And don't be afraid if you're nervous, but try to settle down and just try to really give the eye contact, like he said, and, and just really have that, you know, that professional behavior. We know you're going to be calm, and that's going to be good. As far as a red flag, I think a concern I have is when you know, in an interview, as soon as I ask the question, I've lost control and the interviewee is in control. And and that's okay. We know that. And we have to sometimes pull them back. They've gone out too far in their answer. But a red flag for me is when someone quickly answers my question and then takes that control and starts coming back with information that's not relevant or, or not yeah. what I need to be hearing and kind of takes over the interview in a negative way. I'm looking for a good, again, good judgment. Someone who's going to be a team player, someone who's going to be able to work well with others. And I I have seen that before where someone takes control in a way that's not the appropriate way to take control and Mm -hmm. and turns it around. And we don't get the chance to ask the questions that we want to ask because they've taken over the interview. At the same time, yes and no answers are probably a red flag, too. (laughs) I agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the last time we interviewed for the co-director position at my school, we had some candidates whose interview was done in 20 minutes and some whose interview took an hour. and that. It was more or less how much they were willing to respond and share. And there's definitely like a limit on both ends, right? When the answers are too short, that's not good. But when they go on and on and on and on forever, it's like kind of tested our patience a little bit. <laughs> and again, that's part of finding the fit. There are going to be people who who have good conversational style and fit with the committee. And there are going to be people who can talk forever and never say anything mm-hmm. just as they can say yes and no and be done. Do you guys have any favorite interview questions that you'd really like to ask candidates and perhaps any specific to band doesn't have to be though. I mean, I think these are all very easy to find. I don't know if I have a specific question. I, I like to ask questions that allow 
a person to go into the what their experiences are in that area. And a first-year teacher, so you're, you were talking about some student teachers who might be listening to this and going for a job, they should be able to answer every question and they, they and admit that I don't have experience at this like I will in a few years, but you know I understand about this topic and I'm able to talk about it at this level, if that makes sense. So I don't know that I have a favorite question. I just like to see a person interviewing is ready for every question and doesn't get stumped by my question. That's a red flag when someone really gets stumped and can't answer a question and we have to just move on to the next one. You know, so I, I don't know if I have a favorite. Do you, Alan? You know, we start with a rubric to begin with, but always the first question is, why are you here? Mm. And I certainly would. Why hope are that, you here? Is why your are first you question. here? <laughs> you know, and I would hope that we're more articulate than, well, I'm interested in the job. I'm here because I want to work with students. I want to, as a music teacher, I, I want to broaden their lives and enrich our community. And, you know, it's not all about X's and O's always, but it, it really boils down to why are you here? You know, are you here to glorify yourself and check a box to move on to the next level? If it's an elementary position, I'm going to work my way to something else, or I'm here because I don't want to deal with marching band, but I want to teach music. You know, there needs to be some substance behind just why are you here? And if they've done their research, you know, absolutely. Do they know anything about the school? I know whenever I do an interview, I I go online and I memorize all the administrators' names. And usually the pictures are on the website. I memorize all the names before I show up. But like you can usually, especially in the arts, you can find performances online that like parents have taken and whoever and, you know, any awards the school might have been recognized for or anything like they're all things you can look up ahead of time. You know, I, I follow this HR person on TikTok. I, I think. I think the username is HR Manifesto, and she gives a lot of really kind of funny stories about a lot of interviews. But one that I was listening to last week, she had a candidate come in and didn't know who was going to be on the panel and just came up to her and asked if she could like photocopy his resume for him before he walked into the interview. And she was like, sure, I'll go photocopy your resume. She goes and does it, comes back. And then 20 minutes later, he comes back to the interview to find out that she's the head person in the interview. You know, yeah. that maybe I don't know. That's like a sexism thing. He just assumed maybe she was a secretary or something and mm. she was the head interviewer. And, you know, he was like, oh, red flag. I done messed up. <laughs> and I would also say back to the question about what is, what what our favorite questions are. Just be prepared for knowing what questions are going to come. You're going to have some questions that you just know are going to be there. The first question usually is tell us about yourself. And that's when you take control of the interview and you get to tell us the things that you think are important. To Alan's point, why are you here? What are you passionate about? And 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 answer that well if, mm. and understand what they're looking for and try to be prepared for the questions. That's that that's what I think. First question in the interview I had here in nineteen eighty one was, Can you get the band to play the national anthem so nobody will laugh? That was pretty How many years did it take you to do that? <laughs> it took about six weeks. <laughs> I th- I think a question a lot of people know is gonna be asked and a lot of people dread is like, tell us what your strengths and weaknesses are, you know? And I think a lot of people are afraid to admit weaknesses or things that they may not be good at. Do you have any advice for somebody who's not quite sure how to handle that question in a graceful manner? Well, you should have asked me what are my least favorite questions, and I, I may have gone into that. You know, I, I go back to being prepared, and I and I really talk about this a lot with, with, with college students. Be prepared and address what your strengths are and and talk about things you might need to work on. And maybe do it in a way that it's a question I don't even have to ask. Tell me your strengths and your weaknesses. I don't think there's any weakness to any candidate. 
college senior might not have some experiences to go deep in the answers, but there's not a weakness there that won't be overcome with someone giving them the chance and the time to be mentored and to have the experience in the job. But they have to come in and not fake their experiences and address, I am new to this and this is what I know, this is what I've worked with, and this is how I can answer that question until I have more experience. Yeah, that's one of the questions that you really, why you want to hear the answers to that specific question, what you're really trying to determine is if the the individual is self-reflective. Are they going to take the time to think through themselves and and make a list of this is what I need to do to be stronger? You know, we all should be continually trying to improve who we are, and that means taking the time every day to reflect on the day and, and what did I do well and what can I do better tomorrow. That self-reflection piece, I think, is why that question is a part of most rubrics. It is the rubric mm-hmm. here, you know, but I want to see somebody take pause and really think through that answer and reflect on, you know, if you have it, a predetermined answer to that question when you come to the interview, you are going to answer in a way that doesn't indicate that you've taken that daily count of who you are. Do you feel like you get a lot of people who respond well to that, though, to that question? I've, usually, heard, I've heard good responses, but I've heard more bad responses yes, to those and I, questions. I would say that usually the successful candidate is the one who answers that question the best and the most reflective. Well, last time we were doing interviews at, at Shelburne, I thought it was really cool that when we did get to that question, a lot of candidates would say, I am naturally not good at X, but here's what I have done to address that over time. And I thought that was a, a cool solution to answering that question and not just like downing yourself. But it's like, I know this about myself, so I have done this. And then they could explain how they were proactive in addressing the weakness, not just stating, here's my list of weaknesses. When I think that's the reflective piece that Alan mentions, and I mm-hmm. would like that response as well. But to me, it's all about bringing each question back to what your strengths are and how you're the right person for this position. So mm-hmm. not my favorite question, but I do like the answer Alan gave about showing the reflective nature of someone. Which questions are you not legally allowed to ask? In Just some general ones that people may be afraid about being asked. Well, certainly if, if there are questions of a personal nature, what are your leanings in terms of sexuality or things that would reveal personal nature, things that don't matter to your position as a professional educator. And I don't even know how to respond to that because all of our questions had to be pre-vetted by HR and we were very careful not to to step across any line. So I, I can't even mm-hmm. imagine in all the interviews I've encountered or done a question that wasn't legally right. allowed to be asked. Yeah, I've definitely heard stories. I think the most common one that I hear is applicants being asked if they're planning on having kids. Or if they're planning on moving in the future. And I, I don't think those are legal to ask. I just wanted to see if you guys knew the answer. You know, I think as far as that in a particular interview would go appropriately would be, what is your five-year plan? Mm-hmm. And I think if that question was asked, that's a red flag for the interviewee yes. to get out of that interview yeah, room absolutely. as fast as possible and go find a better job. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of which, you know, at the end of the interview, you typically ask the interviewee, if they have any questions, and ideally they will have questions to ask, what are some good questions that you think would be good for that person to ask of the committee? I had a principal tell me once that he he asked that question because it was supposed to be asked. It was on the list of questions, but he he actually 
was my advisor, my mentor when I applied for my curriculum specialist position. And he said, don't get trapped by that question. He said, I, the, the right answer in his mind, I don't necessarily agree, was I, I don't really have any questions because I've, I've been doing my research about your school division. I just want to take this time to thank you for allowing me to come to the interview. I, I don't necessarily agree that that's the only way to handle that. But you do need to be careful about what you're asking. It's not the right time when you're interviewing with me and the principal to ask us about the pay scale. It's not the time to ask about other fringe benefits. If we get to a point where we make you an offer, that's when you can start your research and start asking the very good questions about how that is going to come into play in your decision making. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would just be careful about asking non-relevant questions to the position that you're applying for. I know one person I, I saw interview started asking about SOL scores that were not great at the school and really irritated the principal and just sunk his pretty good interview to that point. So it's just about asking relevant questions that this is the right time to ask. You know, you don't want to do anything at that moment to interfere with them wanting to make you that offer. Well, in, in Virginia, we have the, um, what do they call it? The Virginia Quality Reports, where you can, you can find a lot of information about every school, like from demographics, test scores, school enrollment numbers, like all that stuff. But some things you can't find, for example, would the interview be the appropriate place to ask about what the schedule is like? Because I know in, in the fine arts, there's a lot of different ways to schedule them that may dissuade someone from taking a position if they are not amenable to the schedule. Would you view the interview as the time to ask about that or only ask about it after they've been given an offer? I, I would not be offended by that question at all. I don't, you know, I, I think the moment at the end of the interview to ask questions pertain to making sure that you're a good fit for the learning community that you've interviewed for. You know, we talk all the time about people who interview for a job that they really don't want. You know, well, I just want the experience of interviewing. If you're not willing to take the job, then you probably shouldn't be interviewing to begin with. But in the course of, of an interview, if there are things that you feel like I need to ask this question to make sure I'm a good fit here, comfortable with what you're asking me to do. You know, it, it is a two-way street, you know, and you have to recognize that to a point that conversation should be about who you are and what you bring to the table, but are you bringing it to a place that you feel like you can make a, a difference for the students? Would the interview question period be an okay time in your mind to ask about the budget for the program, or would that be something to ask at a different time or a different manner? Different time and different manner. I, I think, I mean, that is something that, you know, if if you've done your research and you know what you're getting yourself into, you know, as you build a program or maintain a program, you're going to be the one who advocates for that. I would be, I would not be offended by the schedule question, because I think that is, that is a pertinent question to know. Are you teaching five music classes in one typing class, you know? But, you know, I think that's that would not bother me because it kind of speaks to what the assignment is and you're trying to make sure you're a good fit. The The budget question, I'm not sure that that's the right way to ask that. A question might be, is there a booster organization for this band position that I'm applying for? And then give the administration time to kind of go as deep as they want to into that kind of what what exists there. They might not give you numbers. But I don't. But again, I come back to: Is the answer to that question going to make you say yes or no to the job? And and I would imagine that you must have another job in the wings waiting for you 
if that's the decision-making piece that you're looking for. So I would just make sure that the last questions you ask are very, very relevant and something that really does impact whether you're going to make the decision to take the job. I know there's definitely been some schools that I've worked at where the band budget was essentially zero and all instrument purchases had to be done through fundraising. And there's some schools I've worked at where the budget has been very generous and we didn't have to fundraise at all. I'd say from from my perspective as a teacher, like like you were saying, Alan, that's something you can you can work on. Like when I came to my school, our total budget was two thousand dollars a year and we spent more than that in repair. So we had to fundraise just to repair and we could never buy anything ever without like a donation from the community. So that's something that we worked with our administration and we worked with central office and we're like, hey, here's some instruments we need to purchase. How do we how do we go about doing this? And they looked at it and they adjusted our budget so that we could replace the things that were falling apart. And that was a conversation that we just all had together. And it was great. And no one was upset or stressed out about that. We just can't kind of came together and said, this is what our students need. How, how can we get this? You know, And it was a really great conversation and a really great moment of collaboration for all of us to do that. So I would just want to throw out, you know, I, I would hope the budget would not dissuade someone from taking a position unless I guess they had a really swanky other offer, like you're saying, on, on the table. But that is something you can work on over time. I also will say that, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. I also say that there's also can be an opportunity to circle back. I mean, we have email, we have the ability to communicate. So if you have a question before you accept the job, I don't think it's inappropriate, especially if there's a music supervisor, to reach out mm-hmm. and say, hey, can we have another conversation? I want to ask a few questions. Mm-hmm. And that certainly has been something that I've experienced. I, th- I think also if there's not been an offer from the school to have you tour the band room or the, the choir room or you know, the facility, that's something you should ask for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that without asking other questions, that will give you a real quick snapshot of, of what you're you're going to get yourself into. Yeah. You know, that's if, great advice. I, that really, really good. I agree. If the applicant does not know the current band director, do you think it is appropriate for them to contact them with questions or should they shy away from doing that? I would shy away because they absolutely do not know the circumstances for their departure. Right. And mm-hmm. that gets into a, a really sticky situation. I, I just, I, I would not advise that. I think all questions should go to the administration, the principal, or the music specialist. And, and again, that's, you know, you, you do your homework in other ways. I, my college professor at Bridgewater in the day said, you, there is no good job. You're either following the village idiot or the person walked on water. And so, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why people leave. You don't need to know the reason. You just need to know that you're a fit for that position. Mm. Well, and there's, I'm sure you've seen this plenty of times as, as head principal. One teacher may come in and have one opinion of the school, and the next teacher comes in and have the complete opposite opinion of the school. It's the same school, you know, but the individual interpreted it very different. Exactly. Do you guys ask any band-specific like pedagogical questions in an interview? I kind of improvise that a little bit. If I find the question, the candidate is not answering as deeply as I would hope for, I might throw something out there to see if, how they react to that. So I, I would say, yes, I've, I've asked about their literature. You know, what do you, what do you think are some, you know, pieces you would envision yourself wanting to play with this band? Let's say it's a great, they were grade five last year. What comes to mind is something you might want to do. I've asked, you know, Things along that line, just to see how deep they can go. What about you? Same. And and that would be the reason why having somebody in the interview team who has some background and knowledge of the subject matter is important. That's not going to be the case in every interview you're in. 
there are schools where just the principal does the interviewing. So I think it's important to have that information at hand and being able to express it in a way that a non-musician would understand and somehow relay where your knowledge and pedagogical foundation lies. And I also will add to that, remember this is a conversation as well that you're having with the team or the administrator you're interviewing with. So you might give a response that I want to delve deeper into. So it really is, you know, just a conversation that goes on. It's not just question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. You know, it's definitely a a back and forth for us to find out, you know, again, are you the fit? Do you have the experiences that we're looking for? And, and, And a lot of times administrators, before they even start the interview, and I've seen this with the committee, what are we looking for? You know, we've got these six candidates, but what are we looking for for this position? So they're discussing fit before the candidate even comes in. So, you know, just a little more perspective. How much does level of degree matter as far as finding the right person, as far as master's degree, or or even how much does previous experience play into it? And the, and the reason why I ask this, I've, I've talked with several young people who have applied to jobs and not received interviews. And they're like, well, is it because I don't have my master's or is it because I'm fresh out of school? Do you guys shy away from hiring someone with limited experiences in those areas? Or is it just one of many factors that kind of play in? There are a lot of factors that play in. And it part of it is what you're looking for as a school. Part of it could be budgetary. I mean, you know, unfortunately, there may be an opportunity to hire somebody with a master's that you can't afford. So you're looking for a bachelor's degree. So that it's a two-way street there as well. I don't know that a degree ever has made a decision for, for us, whether you have one or lack one. Again, it's finding that person who has the, the right fit and the energy and the passion for what we're looking to fill. I would say that agree with Alan. I don't think any degree made a decision on our hire. I think that we do f- view years of experience favorably. But I certainly have seen, and this is a hard conversation to have with one of your experienced teachers who's been teaching a while, who did not get a job that he or she went for within the county, and we hired a first-year teacher. And I can think of at least three times I've had to have that difficult conversation. How can I not get this offer with 15 years' experience, and you hired this person with fresh out of college? And and it comes down to that fit, and that's the we center so much of our discussion around that. They just viewed them as a different fit. Now, in my county, I don't ever remember in my nine years experience in a situation where budget entered into the discussion as to whether or not we were going to offer someone who we thought was the right fit. But I do know that it happens in other school divisions. It just wasn't something I experienced. But I would value experience, but it doesn't mean that I'm not willing to give someone a chance to grow in their new position. And I've never met an administrator, I've never met a principal who shied away from hiring a first-year teacher. I just never saw that. It was whether or not they thought they could work with this person and help them in that first year. And and most principals agreed with this philosophy that it's about mentoring and patience with a new teacher to give them that support while they go through that difficult first year. Do you guys have any particular horror stories from an interview? Obviously, without getting too specific, but anything that just went like very wrong in an interview that you'd like to share? I had a situation once. We did an interview with me and HR. We were interviewing candidates and we were making our list to send a principal and something was insinuated in an interview. And in the next stage of the interview, and a principal was really pushing for this candidate. So we brought, I would have cut him immediately there and not brought him to the next interview because of what was insinuated. 
But in the interview, I was able to push the button. Tell me a little bit more about that. And they basically let out some racist views that were not so introverted. And it was flabbergasting, again, the poor judgment that was demonstrated in that particular moment. That's probably the most horrific thing I've ever seen. And again, it was a situation where I didn't want to even move that candidate forward, but a principal had knew this candidate from a different way and insisted we bring them up to the uh, to the next interview stage. So I think that the only other thing I can think of and turn it over to Alan in a second is just someone who kind of like we talked about earlier, won't stop talking, you know, <laughs> and, and that's kind of my horror is that, you know, we've got a very regimented scheduled day of interviews and someone's making us get behind because they're just not realizing you have to be concise in your response. I think the ones that stand out the most are those that the candidate just simply wasn't prepared for. Mm. Thankfully, they're very few and far between, but occasionally someone will look great on paper and you come in and, and they just, they clearly are not ready for either the interview. There may have been some backstory that didn't help them for that particular day, but you know, typically it's just, you know, well, I know somebody on the school board, so I got this job in my in my hand, and I'm not going to worry about it and be prepared mm. for it. And that's it's unfortunate. Well, and pretty much everywhere that I'm aware of, doesn't the principal have the final say of who is in their building? I mean, are there places where that's not the case? There, there are places. Certainly, you know, once we make a recommendation, it's not always a rubber stamp, but most of the time it is. I mean, we've gone through the process. We may be asked to bring a candidate back in and double check, but I, I've never had that happen. I know of occasions where it has. Well, I guess technically you make the recommendation to the school board and the school board votes on it, correct? Make the recommendation to our HR director okay. who pushes that forth to the superintendent and he or she has the last say. I do have, I do have one horror story that st- stands out for me. It's kind of funny too, because like I, when the position first came open, I asked my principal if I could be on the interview committee. His response was, oh, do you want to be? I was like, well, y- yes, I'm going to spend more time with this person than my spouse during the weeks, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. Ho- hopefully we get along and we work together. And they're like, oh, sure, you can be on the interview. It was very, like, you know, kind of nonchalant. And uh, I remember we had this one candidate come in and there were, I mean, there were red flags everywhere. I mean, the, the biggest one was we asked this particular candidate why they would be a good fit at teaching middle schoolers. Because they were previously, I think, teaching high school. Like, like, what draws you to middle school? Why would, why do you want to teach at this level? And their response was, "Well, I've conducted Lincolnshire Posey," and I just, and I was just kind of dumbfounded. Like, I don't know. Like, anyone who knows me knows that my my program is very much about like caring for the student and the culture comes first, and the music stuff is great, but that's like very secondary. So I'm always looking for someone to to take that opportunity to to talk about why they like middle school kids. Hopefully they like middle school kids and they like working with them and, and all the fun and weirdness that they are. But no, this candidate took the opportunity to brag about conducting Lincolnshire Posey. And Did I'm not... you follow that up with, are you planning to program that with the middle school band? <laughs> with, yes, here? with your eighth grade band. I, you know, I did not, but man, I, I think I was just shocked. I was like, I, I just couldn't believe they answered the question that way, but that wasn't the kicker for me. I mean, that was already kind of like, I already knew I'd, my vote was not going to be for that person. No. Well, and uh, that was bad judgment on his part to answer that way. And he doesn't understand that kids come first in in this business. And yeah. and so he turned it internal to him and his 
what he feels mm. like he was able to accomplish, but he didn't yeah. talk about how he was going to be able to benefit the students there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the biggest red flag, though, came after that. This was a number of years ago, but my, my dad had recently been sentenced to prison. It was very, in, in his town that he lives in, not around here, but it was very public. Everybody knew about it. And we share the same last name, although I live several hours away from there. And in the interview, this person brings it up. We're like, hey, are you related to so-and-so? And brings it up in the interview. And mind you, like this whole process was very painful for our family. Like it was a very public case. He absolutely deserves to be in prison for what he did. But it was a very public thing. Our family was like sort of like grieving like the loss of my dad, like being sent away to prison, but also like an absolute agreement that that's where he needed to be for what he did. And this person like brings it up in the interview. Why? I have no idea. Why would you bring that up in an interview? I just, I just, I just don't gonna, understand. And I'll turn that into an interest. I'm going to respond to that in a way you might not expect. I'm glad he did because you were able to make a decision immediately that he was not the right fit. Mm. I've had situations where people are not themselves in the interview and they present something that is really making us have confidence that they're going to be able to do the job. And then once we have them in the position, it's obvious real quickly, they don't have what it takes to do this job. Mm. So I'm glad, as painful as it was, (laughs) and I'm sorry you had to go through that, but that he showed himself in that interview to you and you could pass on that candidate, something that's difficult is to be in that position where someone has maybe misrepresented what they're able to do, and then they're in the position. We are not Mm -hmm. in a, this is not an easy business to remove someone from a position once they're in it for being subpar at the ability to teach music. Now, there are certainly some things we don't even need to discuss that will immediately eject you from the position, but someone who's maybe not the best musician or not the best relationship builder or not the best communicator and if they're coachable and moldable, moldable, then that's fantastic. But if they're not, then you've got this person in your building for 10, 15, 20 years, and that can be a problem. So mm. I, I will say I'm just glad that, you know, he presented himself <laughs> in that way and you could dodge we, that bullet. We knew right away. We knew right away. Well, and it, it really is incumbent upon the interviewer or the committee doing the interview to try to, to make sure that those opportunities are available for a candidate to reveal who they really are. Mm. It is a conversation and you have to reach a point where there might be a question that's not on the rubric that we're going to ask to try to delve a little deeper to make sure that we're, we're seeing and hearing who the candidate is in, in all reality. And sometimes the responses are very quick and get you right to the, you know, we have a, a cue here that the interview is over, the last question is three words that describe yourself. That cues the rest of the committee that we have enough to already know. Mm-hmm. That would have been the case there. <laughs> you just let your secret cue out to everybody I, yeah, yeah. in the and podcast I, that's community. Fine. So, you know, if you ever get that question, <laughs> yep, yep, get your coat and keys. <laughs> but that may mean that we have heard enough to be very excited about who you are. And, mm-hmm. but it also could mean that this interview is over. We don't need to go any further. Well, say you decide who you would like to go with and you let HR know and it's waiting to be voted in. At one point in the process, do you let the people who you've interviewed know that they didn't get the position? Do you wait until the school board gives the final approval for the person you wanted? Or do you let them know before that that they may not have gotten the position? That's changed where I used to work over time. It used to be something that HR would handle for us because of time. They just had a few more hands on deck to handle that to communicate that out. And then over time, 
they weren't able to keep up with that as much. So I would request the ability, do you mind if I call and just say another position, another candidate's been offered a position? It's And near the end, I was doing more of that than or sharing that with them to make sure that I got done. Because I always felt bad. I'm sure we all do that. We don't want to leave someone who didn't get the job hanging yeah. too long. That's a horrible feeling. We probably all experienced at some point or another. So that's been a little bit of an evolution. We had a difficult situation. I found it difficult that we couldn't do anything. We, we couldn't even offer the job at times until it was approved by the school board. And so there was just, it just created a difficult situation for the whole communication of all of this. And we could offer a contract, but we would have to say, you can't talk about this with anybody outside of, you know, this is, has to have board approval. And, and, and it just it gets very sticky and difficult very quickly with that. So, but I, I'm sensitive to that. I think that's awful to let someone hang on the line too much. And, I, and, and where we got to eventually in my nine years of being there was we, we were able to say, hey, just so you know, at this point, we have offered a contract to someone. And our process is, is somewhat similar to that. I would begin by calling the candidate that's chosen and, and informally offering the position. I'm not going to make a recommendation to our HR department until I know the answer is going to be yes. Mm. So save their time and effort. Once I have that response from the candidate, then I will contact HR and let them know who our choice is and that they have informally accepted the position. At that point, we have a conversation about who's going to contact the other candidates. I always ask to do that because I feel like I owe the person who gave of their time to interview with us that call. And usually I try to make it as a part of the conversation in that call. Here are some things that might have gone differently or, mm. you know, we recognize that you have a lot of strengths. It just doesn't feel like it's a fit at this point. You know, if our response initially is from the, the chosen candidate is no, then I still have the opportunity to look at other folks who we've interviewed before I make a recommendation to HR. Well, and it, you know, it could be possible sometimes that you have three people who were all amazing, but you mm -hmm. can only pick one of them. Right. You know, I think it's great that you call them because then you can express that to them like, hey. You and usually offer, if there's something I can do for you in the future, please don't hesitate to call. Yeah, I know in the, in the beginning of my career, there were times where I would interview for a job and didn't hear back for several weeks. And then someone maybe had been offered the position and then they put it up on their social media and I still hadn't heard back from the principal or HR. And I know that that like hurt a lot. It's like, oh, well, everybody knows that so-and-so got it. I still haven't been contacted, you know, but I didn't know if that was like they weren't allowed to contact me until the school board, like, you know, checked it off or. Well, and I think it's also OK for a candidate who hasn't heard to call HR mm -hmm. and say, I'm just checking in to see if you've offered a contract to someone so I, I, I can, you know, look at other positions myself. And that's totally fine. And I think that's an HR call, not a principal call. Do not call the principal. Gotcha. Music supervisor specialist is probably a safe call there, too. But a person in HR is, I think, most in most counties, divisions, able to say a contract has been offered and at this time. And so when you do make the call, how often is it that somebody asks to wait before giving you their answer? Every time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> their usual response. And I've told students this. When you get an offer, you know, you need to process the offer. You need to think about it. You say, I, can, how, can I take some time to talk about it with my significant other or my parents who are advising me as I work on this decision. You know, I think that's certainly okay to ask for more time. And I have seen, I've experienced 
HR playing hardball with that and say, well, we need to take this to the school board tonight, so we need to know by four o'clock. And I think it's okay to, if you need more time, to say, I need more time, even in that situation. If you are going to take it and you know that you've done your homework, you know all all your questions are answered, then immediately accept. But to me, every person will, will, will say, can I have a little bit of time to get back to you? Do you agree? Again, the reflection piece, you know, taking the time, and hopefully you've thought about it as you leave the interview. Okay, if I'm offered this position, am I willing to take it? Did that go like I felt like it ought to go and I feel like I fit? So you have some semblance of what your answer may be even before you get the phone call. You know, as it works out, typically sometimes you get the phone call the same day, you know, and and certainly you need more time to process than that. We don't normally call the same day we've con- concluded interviews, but but that's a process for us to yeah. do the reflection too with the committee. But I, I would hope that you know a candidate has taken the time to know what their answer is going to be once they get a phone call. Mm-hmm. And if you you know what the perception is sometimes from my chair is that if you ask for more time it's because you have other interviews and you're mm-hmm. trying to pick and choose and cherry pick the position. And that to me says something else mm-hmm. might be one of those red flags we're talking about. If you're shopping yourself with other positions, maybe you didn't look into the position you interviewed for enough to really know, Hey, that's where I want to be. Well, we've covered most of the questions that I have. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you guys think would be really beneficial to those going into the interview season? I have something I say to every person I talk to about this. You practice your instrument. You practice uh, everything about this job. Practice your interview. You can predict what the questions are going to be, most of them, and practice. Whenever I have an interview, when I'm driving around town, I turn my radio off and I talk out loud and I hear my voice and I respond to that first question. Tell us about yourself and why you want this position. And I have that loaded. I'm ready to go. It's to me all about practice and being ready to answer each question and understanding how to answer questions. You can scaffold a response and say, hey, I have three things I want to say about that. And you can scaffold your response. So practice doing some of those things if you want to keep yourself on task to make your points. But it's about practice to me. You can see the people who have really taken the time to prepare themselves for the interview and those who are kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. And make sure you're passionate about what you're doing. I mean, that, that <laughs> bottom line is, it, you know, if you don't love what you're getting into and that doesn't ooze from every pore you have, golly, you're looking in the wrong place. You know, this is a profession that you have to absolutely be passionate about what you do and and working with students, whether you're teaching Tiddlywinks or Lincoln Sharposi, you have to have that passion to begin with. And you've got to let that out in an interview. Yeah. An interview committee has to hear that and see that and ask with the same passion and the same bravado, if you will, in their questions. It's a two-way street. Since this is a mainly a middle school director related podcast, I will say that as a someone sitting on a committee for middle school, I do try to throw out questions that sort of indicate if this person actually wants to teach middle school or if they're just trying to get a couple of years under their belt and then go be a high school director. Because you know? ideally, I want someone who really loves middle school age kids and wants to stick around. I mean, you can't always tell, but I really want someone who, who's going to stick around and not just you know, 
Well, and that comes back to one of the questions you asked earlier. Are you allowed to ask that? Is that allowed to be part of the equation? You know, because life comes at you and you sometimes have to leave a position or you discover that you thought you wanted to be a middle school director and maybe it isn't your passion. So that's a, that's a tricky thing too to, to, to figure that out. But the first part you said I 100% agree with is your passion to teach this level, is your passion to teach, you know, middle school band or, or what have you. And I think middle school is, is such a unique creature that you have to be careful of the other side where you have somebody who's been at the high school level and I want less nights, I want fewer demands. Mm. Anytime you go to a job looking to do less, that's a red flag. Mm. Because if you have the passion for what you do, you will find a way to do more. It's, you know, if I'm going to position because I think I won't have to work as hard, the red flag goes way up the pole. All right. Well, I think that's all, all we have for questions for today. I do ask everyone who comes on the show three final questions. And Alan, since you've been on the podcast before, I've already asked you these questions. So Barry, I will be directing these to you. Three questions I ask every guest on, on the podcast. Three things, three one word descriptions of myself. Does that mean I'm not getting the job? Um, the first is, do you have a mentor shout out? Uh, too many to name. That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, I really wouldn't even start that going down that road because I would inadvertently leave someone out. I would say every band director I've ever had has mentored me and continues to mentor me. I had a question about, well, I don't know if I need to get into specifics of it, but I had a question last week and called who I used to work for at Virginia Tech, Dave McKee, retired from the Marching Virginians. And I said, hey, I haven't talked to you in a few months, but I need some mentoring. And he was a great mentor for me. So yeah, that I mean, I, I could go all the way back to my beginning band director, Ken Poe in Virginia Beach who I would always see at a convention and chit-chat and get advice from. I don't know. I just love picking people's brains. I'm a talker. I don't know if that's come across in this podcast, but <laughs> I love hearing how people are doing things and seeing if I can steal ideas. I mean, what we do is we steal from each other, and it's the most positive thing to steal something from a colleague, and it's the most it's a compliment. And, you know, I'm just looking for new ways to do what I do and, and be more effective. All right, question number two, and I'll direct it towards middle school since you have middle school experience. Do you have a favorite middle school piece of music? I love Larry Dan. All of his stuff, it's very Granger-like, and it's very accessible for middle school to teach some of those concepts of tone and sound. So a song for friends, Adagio for wins, and things like that. I would say those are my go-tos. All right, and the final question, name a band director who's crushing it right now. Everyone in this district. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know who's crushing it? Charlie Nesmith and John Wilson. Oh, and I'm not saying that because you guys, you're across the table from me. You guys are crushing it. I mean, I, I've, I've heard your group uh, a couple years now. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's what we talked about in these interviews. Your passion and John's passion, and I work with John at Bridgewater, it comes through in every conversation I've witnessed you have with students. And when you're on the podium and when I'm in the audience, I see the connection you guys have with students. So I know you did not want me to turn that back on you, but I, I definitely think you guys are crushing it at Shelburne Middle School. Well, thank you. Well, then, then I would, I would say John Wilson then because now John's great. I mean, he's, he's one of the hardest workers that I know. He probably won't listen um, to this whole podcast. So he will have turned it off by the time we get to the end and he gets that shout out. But uh, oh my gosh. So it's funny when I, when I was calling you on the phone earlier this week, we had like five minutes before seventh grade started. And I was like, yeah, I just need to call Barry real quick. We're trying to nail down a time. He's like, well, you really like to talk and Barry really likes to talk. So I'm not sure now's the right time to come. 
And I was like, yeah, because because John has to put up with me every day, and uh, I'm I'm what is known as a verbal processor. So John <laughs> John hears a lot from, yeah, from my table, but from me as well. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us on the Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light. <laughs>